Well, good morning, family. Uh, would you just bow your heads with me in prayer? I, wanna, I want you to add your prayers to mine. We're going to lift up Pastor John. He's, his back is hurting real bad, and some of you know that. So let's just lift him up right now. Heavenly Father, you tell us that uh, you are our loving Father, and you know what we need before we even ask. And so we don't have to get you in a good mood to listen to us. You already care for us, and so we just want to ask. There's great power in prayer. Would you touch Pastor John, his back, nerves, discs, all of that in his back that's hurting? Would you heal him? Would you heal him? Would you give him rest as he sleeps on, enable him to sleep soundly? And would you remind him that you love him? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, are you ready for the good news? Me too. Me too. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. We're picking up where we left off last time, and we're going to continue our series called The Jesus Way of Human Flourishing. And we only have two verses today. What do you think? Can, can we make a whole sermon out of two verses? I think so. All right. So Matthew structured the, the Sermon on the Mount in such a way to let us know that this is the very center of his uh, biography of the life of Jesus. He wants us to know this is the center point of his gospel account. And this particular section in the Sermon on the Mount on prayer is what one scholar has called, quote, the center of the center of the center of Matthew's account. So if we've been walking up this mountain, this is the peak, this is the top, this is the center piece. Jesus has, been, has proclaimed in chapter 5 that no one can ever enter the kingdom of heaven unless their righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. So unless our righteousness comes from our heart, that we're wholehearted people, and here, right here, Jesus proclaims that we cannot live that way without God's power and God's grace. Experiencing the kingdom is built upon, and it's centered around, and you could even say it's contingent upon you and I asking God for help. For asking for help. That should be good news. So of all the preceding lessons that, that we've talked about were about the flourishing life, the Jesus way of abundant life, being in the world, then this section is impressing upon us the necessity of a vibrant and satisfying prayer life. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, when you were led by the Spirit into the wilderness and you were assaulted by Satan, 
you said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Like Jesus in the wilderness, Lord, we are hungry too. And we thank you for the spiritual bread you give us. Would you help us hear it, receive it, and be thankful for it in Jesus' sacred name. Amen. How do you get someone to pray that, that doesn't really pray? How do you do that? And by the way, if you could tell me as a pastor, I would love to know. I feel like that's what I'm doing all the time, trying to get you guys to pray. How do you do that, though? Um, how about you, do you threaten them? Does that work? Or guilt? By the way, guilt works exactly 20 minutes. I'm just letting you know. I'll figure that out. It'll work for 20 minutes. It's very effective. It just doesn't endure. Would, would you maybe give them like this very rational and convincing argument uh, for why we need to pray and all the benefits of prayer? Or, or would you make the method of prayer, I've, I've seen this happen, the method of prayer, make it very like super simple. Like see, even a child can do it. It's just like talking to your dad, so you do it. Would that motivate people to pray? Um, well, you know, G Jesus eventually does those things, those positive things, when he's teaching us how to pray, but they're not the first thing that he does. He says, pray like this. And before he launches into all those other things, this is where he starts. Jesus goes after our heart. Jesus goes after your heart and my heart, what we love. In other words, what we want. We live by what we want. Have you guys figured that out yet? In his wonderful book, You Are What You Love, contemporary philosopher James K.A. Smith gives us an incredible insight on what it actually means to be a human. Listen carefully, guys, to this. He says, quote, To be human is to be animated and oriented by some vision of the good life some picture of what we think counts as flourishing. And we want that. We want that. We crave it. We desire it. We adopt ways of life not usually because we think through our options, but rather because some picture captures our imagination. Antoine de saint Exupery, the author of The Little Prince, once said, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Close quote. Look, if you want to build a ship, teach people to long to want to experience the sea. And they'll build the ship to get out there, right? If you want to build a dynamic prayer life, teach people to long to want to experience the kingdom of God right now in their life. That's how we do this. That's how Jesus does this. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in the passage. If we are going to live the Jesus way in the world, then we must develop a dynamic prayer life. But if we're going to have a dynamic prayer life, our heart must learn how to long for the right things because after, our heart, after all, our heart by its very nature is a, is a wanting machine. It's a longing machine. You and I never stop wanting. 
So we've got to long for the right things. And the fact of the matter is that you and I, we crave and we long and we desire all kinds of things. I mean, hour by hour, we're craving different things. Many times those longings are actually left unfulfilled, and so we're left frustrated or we're left disappointed because we didn't get what we longed for. We didn't get what we wanted from that person. We didn't get that response that we were hoping for, right? And we're left disappointed or frustrated. And so what we know is this, not just any longing will do. In order to experience a vibrant and satisfying prayer life, our hearts must first learn how to long in the right direction. That's where Jesus starts about prayer. Isn't that interesting? If you and I want a vibrant and, and frankly, a satisfying prayer life, our hearts must first learn how to long in the right direction. We, we don't follow our heart, but rather we train our heart how to worship, how to love. And so as we look at these verses here, there's three asks, there's three petitions, and, and frankly, these three things, they're not that different. There's a lot of overlap in these three prayer petitions because they're really asking one big thing, all right? They're just coming at it from different directions. They're asking God to shape the desire of our heart, shape our imagination, Give us that imagination or that picture of the good life, God, because we're going to have one, so we want yours. Okay, does that make sense? That's what this is about. And so we're going to look at each of these in turn. First of all, we need to ask for a longing to see God's name honored everywhere. Okay? Whatever you and I are longing for right now, Jesus says this is what we ought to long. This is what's going to satisfy you. This is what's going to give you that shalom, to see God's name honored everywhere you look. It's here in verse 9. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name. Now, some definitions are in order first. To hallow something means uh, to revere Okay, or to honor it. And this should be the longing of our heart, that the name of God would be honored and revered everywhere on earth. Be honored in our neighborhood, be honored at our school, honored in my job, in, under my own roof in my house, and how I treat people in my house. This is what we're longing for, that God's name would be honored wherever I go. Next, the name of God, or he says, he says hallowed be your name. That's more than his proper name. So we're not praying like, Lord, I pray that everyone would use your proper first name, okay? We're not talking about Bob, all right? That everyone will call you by the right name. Biblically, the name of God would mean his reputation, what he's known for, but it actually means more than that. It's actually something really critical, guys. It includes the very nature of God and the character of God. Of God. In other words, who he is in his essence, not just what he does, but who he is. That is what we're asking, that's what we're longing for when we want his name to be hallowed, to be honored or known. We're wanting God to be, the true God, to be truly known. And Jesus is actually pulling from the Decalogue. Remember, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, right? But what? To fulfill it. He's pulling from the Decalogue. He is the Word of God. You guys remember the third commandment? Anybody? 
Nobody. All right. I, mean, I had to look it up. Don't feel bad. Third commandment is what? Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Right? Now, that doesn't mean merely using his name as a curse or as a way to, you know, make somebody trust you because you're swearing an oath in the name of God. You know, it's not saying GD. It concludes that, but that's really not the main thing. Taking the name of the Lord in vain is claiming to know God, but living in the world like you don't know the first thing about that God. I know him, and I'm a Christian. I'm a representative in this country, in this state. I know the true God, but you live like you don't know that God. And that's what gets God the most, not whether he uses his actual name or not. Does that make sense? That's a big deal. Jesus is putting that command, which was a prohibition in the Decalogue, he's put into a positive, in a prayer. Isn't that interesting? He's transforming the law. He says, look, ask God, when you pray, this ought to be a priority in your prayer life. At some point, ask God to make the deepest desire, the most deepest longing, the most persistent craving in your heart, that the people that we come in contact would know his true character, his true nature, that they'd really know God. Because deep down we believe that if they really knew who God really is, it would change their life for the better. They couldn't help but love God if they really knew him. Does this make sense? This is really what Jesus is asking you and I to, to pray about. You know what's interesting? Jesus often asks you and I to do things that we already do. Isn't that neat? You and I already do this. We do. You don't look like you believe me, right? Well, I'm going to show you, right? We have all experienced this longing that I wish you knew them. Right? We all experience that on a smaller scale when someone that we knew that we deeply love and was good to us died. Amen? Can the church say amen? Maybe it was our father or maybe it was our mother that took care of us. Maybe it was a wonderful uncle or a sister and they died. And this beautiful, beautiful, wonderful person that made an indelible mark, they made an indelible mark on our life. We're different because they were in our life. You understand what I'm talking about? Like they gave us knowledge that otherwise we wouldn't have known. We wouldn't have known how to fix a car unless they'd been there because they knew that and they taught, they passed that on to us. Right? I mean, they equipped us with life skills that turns out we needed, and now we're the beneficiary of being able to implement those life skills. They maybe they had uncommon wisdom that we benefited from, but most of all, that person, that beautiful, beautiful, wonderful person, they developed, they had developed over the course of their life certain virtues. It's not what they did, it's who they were. It's just who they were that was impressive to us. You understand what I'm saying? 
We admired certain uh, attributes, virtues, certain parts of their character. Are you tracking with me? We admire those. In fact, we found out like we wish we could be more like them. They literally help shape us into the person we are today just by them being them and connecting to us. And in our mind, we believe that the world, the world was better because they were in it. Haven't you experienced that? Don't you know someone like that? I do. And so for the rest of our lives, whenever their name is mentioned, whenever the photo comes up, and people start talking about them, or even something just like tangentially related, <laughs> we want to tell about them. We want to tell stories about the, the kind of person that they were. Why? Why do you, why, what, explain that human phenomenon. I'll tell you why. Because we believe everyone would have loved them as much as we love them if they knew them the way we knew them. Amen? That's why we do that. That right there is the longing that Jesus is talking about. Does that make sense? Does that bring it home? That is the longing right there that we need to ask God to plant in us, to cultivate over time in us if we're going to experience a, a vibrant, satisfying prayer life. We pray like this, Lord, I want, to know, I want other people to know you the way that I know you. Because I believe that if people knew who you really were, if they knew just how wise you are, if they knew just how merciful you really are at your core, if they knew just how really good you are all the way down to your toes, if, I knew, if they knew how dependable and reliable you are, if they knew just how much you love them, I believe they just couldn't help but love you back, God. They couldn't help themselves. Because you've done that to me. Brothers and sisters, this is our first prayer before we pray, we pray anything. This is, this is the top of the list. Oh Lord, I want to long for your name to be known, your name to be honored everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. So start with me. Help me see how wonderful and beautiful you are in every area of my life and in the world around me. Help me see that you're beautiful in my marriage. You're beautiful in my singleship. You're, be you're beautiful in my work. You're beautiful in my pain. Help me see who you really are that I might share that with others. And Jesus says, and they'll see your good works and what praise you. No, your Father in heaven, right? So family, my encouragement to you is to ask yourself this question. Is there an aspect of God's character that you wish you knew more deeply? Or maybe you wish you knew more personally, like by personal experience. You experience that part of who God is. Is there an aspect of that? Just think about that. Imagine that for a second. Maybe it's his love. Um, maybe it's his listening, compassionate ear. Maybe it's his, his nearness and closeness, and that's what you want to know right now. Ask that you might know him more fully, experientially, in that way. And you know what Jesus says? He'll answer you. 
Hey, he will answer that prayer 10 out of 10 times. Now, doesn't that make you want to pray? Not any longing will do, but the, the right ones are secure. Isn't that neat? Secondly, Jesus says we need to ask for a longing. It's all about longing. Ask that our heart would long to see God's rule manifested on the earth. You know what the word manifest means? It just means real, visible, visible. Okay? So we ask that we, we long to see God's rule manifested on this earth. It's here in verse 10. Jesus says, and pray your kingdom come. All these little petitions are like real pregnant with meaning. They're just like con condensed contractions. There's a lot in them. That's why you got to read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount to un understand it. More than any other gospel writer about the life of Jesus, Matthew records the most parables, and he records the most parables about the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God everywhere he went. Like I said, some people believe this Sermon on the Mount was the message he preached everywhere he went. It's almost, so he did all these parables, and it's almost like as if Jesus wants our minds to be saturated with pictures or something, so we'll long for the kingdom, which I think is exactly what he wants us to happen to our minds. Jesus says stuff like this all the time. Look, you know, the kingdom is like a mustard seed that slowly grows. Can you picture that? Good. You're supposed to. Do you see Jesus always after your imagination and our heart? Isn't that cool? He said things like this. The kingdom is like, you know, a farmer who plants wheat. And there's weeds in the same field. The kingdom's like a pearl of great price. And you know, the kingdom is like a wise builder and a foolish builder. When Jesus as we read in Matthew and other gospel writers, is when Jesus cast out demons of sick and afflicted people, what does he do? Almost always, what's he do? He declares, the kingdom has come near you. The kingdom is near you. Right here, that's it. When Jesus teaches through parables, he declares, the kingdom has come near you. When Jesus performs miracles of healing or feeding or saving, he says, this is a very small and a very localized taste of my kingdom that will one day be spread over the entire universe and galaxy. You're getting a sneak peek of it. It's kind of like this. The kingdom is when heaven comes down to earth. That's it. The kingdom is when Jesus reorders everything that is currently out of order, bent, broken, twisted, or upside down, which is why so many of Jesus' teachings seem upside down. He's actually setting things right side up. Right, Cal? He's setting things right side up. But it looks upside down to you and me. We're living in the upside down. <laughs> oh, he's so wonderful. He's going to reorder everything that's currently out of order from our bodies to the weather to family relationships to national relationships. For those that oppose Christ's kingdom, that day is going to be a day of, of like, sad. Like, sadness is a, like, massive disappointment and frustration and, like, grinding teeth. Like, ugh, ugh. I didn't get my way. Ugh. But you know what? For those that love Jesus and they love his coming, 
It's going to be a day of great shalom. It's going to be a day of great peace and joy and jubilation, the likes of which you and I have yet to experience. We've never experienced it. In fact, Jesus says it's going to be like a wedding feast. That's like the best simile approximation. But it's a wedding feast that never ends because the wine's always coming. Jesus is ruling the entire cosmos right now from heaven, even when we do not see it that way from our vantage point. But the day is coming when Jesus' rule will be manifested all over the earth. Every eye will see his perfect, righteous, wholesome reign. And that is what you and I should long to see. What are you longing to see right now? What are you longing for? Jesus says, let me, let me reorientate what you're longing for. This is what we should be longing for. New Testament scholar Dr. Pennington says this, quote, followers of Jesus are defined as those awaiting a time and place in which God will make the realities of the heavenly realm the realities of earth. There is nothing more fundamental, there is nothing more fundamental than this soul-situatedness for the people of God. This is not a rejection of or apathy toward the earth. Nor is it a longing to get out of this world that's going to hell in a handbasket. Rather, the believer in God the Redeemer is depicted as one who longs for God to make his ruling of the world completely manifested on the earth. Close quote. So when Christ's kingdom, uh, when Christ's kingdom is completely made visible, when it's completely manifested on this earth, it will be like springtime after a really harsh winter. I like how in the, the Narnia story, C.S. Lewis says, you know, he talks about the world where it's always winter but never Christmas. Right? You get all the, the cold death and destruction but never the joy of the presence. And we live in that world. It's always winter, but it's not Christmas. And, and the Bible is saying, and Jesus said, oh, look, all the, look at all the like, gardening metaphors he uses. There's a few like war metaphors, but most of them are gardening. Have you noticed? It's going to be like springtime after the dead of harsh winter where everything's died off. There won't be any more need for doctors. All right? There's going to be a lot of stuff defunded, okay? Like police and doctors and everything else. Won't need them. Won't need that kind of work. No counselors. Won't need them. Bread lines. Won't need them anymore. Why? Because there's going to be no more trauma. And there's going to be no more destruction. There's going to be no more breaking. There's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more sickness. And there's going to be no more Satan. And there's going to be no more sin. Amen, indeed. Tom Waits, the singer Tom Waits, he wrote a song called You Can Never Hold Back Spring. It's a beautiful song. And I think it really captures the longing that Jesus wants us to have. He says this, Even though you've lost your way, 
The world is dreaming. It's dreaming of spring. So close your eyes and open your heart to the one who's dreaming of you. You can never hold back spring. Just remember everything that spring can bring. Baby, you can never hold back spring. This is the fundamental posture of our hearts. Listen, winter is not forever. I'm here to tell you, winter's not forever. Spring is coming. Spring is coming. And we want to see it. We want to encounter it. We want to experience the kingdom is coming. Nothing can hold back life. It's life. It's light. It's color. It's flavor. And the longing of our heart to see it come with our own eyes. We want to see it now in the land of the living. We want our bodies to experience now in the land of the living. Amen. Listen, if this is the future that we're aching for, then our lives should want to live that way now. Do you hear what I'm saying? If that is the future, if that is what is coming, then we should want to like practice now. We want to get really good at living that way because it won't be that way forever. So we pray, Lord, start with me, Father. Bring your heavenly kingdom down into my heart. Rule and reign in my life. We ask God this, where do you see that I've twisted justice? Where have I done that, Lord? Would you untwist it by your kingdom? Where do you see that I've banned mercy? Would you come set me right? Where have I called evil good and I call good evil? Would you show me? Would you bring your kingdom to rule in my life right here, right now in that area of my life? This is how we pray, brothers and sisters. This is, this is also a prayer of humility. I want you to notice this. When we pray this way, you know what we're doing? We, just by our action of praying this way, we are admitting that we cannot enter God's kingdom on our own merits. We can't do this. We need God to bring his kingdom to us. We need God's grace. Thirdly, we ask for a longing to participate obediently in his kingdom. Verse 10 says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this phrase overlaps, but it also expands on the previous uh, verses that we've read. So that we desire to see the kingdom of heaven manifested across the entire world, but, but not like um, the spectators who are watching a football game up in the stands and they're watching the things that are going on down below. That's not how we await. We desire to participate in Christ's coming kingdom. The goodness, this goodness, this perfect writing of the whole world, this complete healing of the universe, this mending of broken people, it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful that our heart wants to be involved in it playing out. Saying, like, coach, put me in the game. Even if I'm just like, back up. 
second stringer. I don't care. Right? This is a very different kind of obedience than really like just checking off this list of all these rules that we have to do, uh, all these things that we have to obey. We're not obeying King Jesus merely from some kind of sense of like respect for him or even duty. Though those things are involved, that's not the main prime mover of why we follow him and obey him. This is an obedience that comes from a heart that wants to participate in making all things new and beautiful. In other words, it is a posture of humble collaboration with the king. We want to play our part. Think about it this way, guys. Salvation is an invitation to participation in the Jesus way of being in the world. It's like, I want, as much as I'm able right now, I want to live out the Beatitudes. I don't want to overthrow God's law. I want to live it to the fullest sense of the law. I want to pray better, richer, more rewarding prayers. I want to play a part in making his invisible heavenly kingdom visible on earth, even though doing that looks upside down right now. Even though doing it the Jesus way looks upside down right now, I still want to do that. I want to participate in that, right? Even though that kind of obedience looks like losing Right now, even though the Jesus way of living looks like coming in last place instead of coming in like a winner in first place, I'm okay with that because I know that obeying is the way that his kingdom comes through his people. And by the way, by the way, is this not exactly the prayer that Jesus prayed in Gethsemane? See, Jesus Jesus doesn't tell you not to do anything that he hasn't already done. Absolutely, this is how he prayed. That he would do the will of God, though, it, though the will of God looked like losing. Because the will of God looks like losing sometimes. But that's how his kingdom comes. It's upside down kingdom. What did Jesus say? If there's any way that this cup would pass your way, that you're going to bring the kingdom. If there's any way that that cup could pass, then let it pass. But not as I will, as you will. Right? And so first we ask our Father in heaven... Give us this soul-level ache to do his will and not our will. Jesus tells us to ask our Heavenly Father for an ache that leads to action. An ache that leads to action in our prayers. A longing for a future, the future, a longing for the future that would change our behavior today. And so we see that we can act, we act justly now, we treat people justly now because that act bears witness to what's coming with Jesus because he's going to bring justice, right? It's like a big billboard advertising, in other words. Does that make sense? That's why we do that. We show mercy because like an, it's like an appetizer that we're giving people for the full meal of mercy that's going to come with Jesus all over the world. And so we build things. We revitalize dying towns. We heal people who are sick. We plant crops out in wastelands. We sow investments by faith. We birth children in the face of death because all those works bear witnessing, witness to the coming kingdom of Jesus. Spring is coming. So I have a family. Spring is coming. So I'm going to renovate that building. 
What are you saying? As a Christian, the kingdom is coming. And it's going to look a little bit like that. We participate in all those visible acts of righteousness because they declare in a visible way that people can ignore good news. Good news. Christ's kingdom looks a little like this. Hey, and anyone can get in on this. Anyone, I don't care who you are and what you did, you can get in on this. Because I got admitted. <laughs> and that's how Jesus' kingdom advances. There's two ways to destroy enemies, right? You take their life, or you make them into friends. And then they're not your enemy. And that's the good news of the gospel of peace. He's saying, come in, come in, come in, come in. I know you're meant to be, come in and be my friend. Do you see? Do you guys see why prayer is so vital for us living the Jesus way in the world? We cannot live this way unless our hearts first long for it. But our hearts don't even like have the right longings and cravings. <laughs> it's all misordered sometimes, right? But but here's the good news. Jesus doesn't like point to the way, say, it's over there, good luck, go for it. Jesus himself is the way that we enter that way of living. We pray for these longings in the name of Jesus, in his name, Jesus. Jesus longed for a singular, undiluted passion to see the Father's name honored everywhere he went on earth. Amen? He longed with a singular, undiluted passion that the kingdom would be made visible and manifested and that he would, uh, that he would obey the will of God. What does he say? My food is what? To do the will of my Father. We ask our Heavenly Father that those same desires and those same longings would be giving to us in greater and greater intensity, what? In the name of Jesus, based on his record, based on his merit, and based on his power. And guess what? He will give us those longings. Jesus will actually change what you like. He'll actually change what you love and what I want. Isn't that great? This is what it means to have a new heart, a circumcised heart. It's right here. He'll give us those answers to those prayers. And this is why the way to a vibrant, satisfying prayer life is this way. Jesus has told us that these are prayers that the Father will absolutely answer, which is why we can pray them confidently with faith, right? You will get your request every time. Show me anything else in the world that gives you that kind of guarantee. I don't know one. Which, by the way, is why... Praying this way is massively rewarding because sometimes you get to see your desires are changing, but everyone else definitely sees that your desires are changing, and they'll be glad to tell you about that, encourage you. So ask for these heavenly longings. Ask for the longings for the immensity of the sea, and we'll get to building the ship. Ask for the longing to see, I want them to know you the way that I know you. Would you give me that? And you'll experience the joy of seeing these prayers answered. Jesus loves you. I love you too, guys. Let's pray. 
Oh, Jesus. Um, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for using a, a, just kind of an imperfect, selfish person like me um, who has all kinds of out-of-whack wants and desires to preach your word. What an honor. And I thank you for it. I pray that um, you would change what I want. You would change the things that I desire where they're out of alignment with your will. They'd be more in alignment with your will because I need you. I need your help. And I thank you that you're pleased to give us the kingdom. You're pleased to give us the kingdom, not begrudgingly. So would you take these words and everything that is of you and is of good, would you help us remember it, bear it deep in our heart, and change this in the sacred name of Jesus. Amen.